HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're jumping into a world filled with fizz, iridescence, and deliciousness. We're talking about bubbles. It came from the air gas truck. Yeah, no, I never thought about it before that. And I think it's emerged as a bulbous tea shops, a site of Asian-American youth uh, identity building. We're called the invisible industry because these products you don't really see, but they're around us in every way, um, every day. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. We're recording remotely, and it's Tuesday, April 6, 2021. So we're talking about something that's kind of like more of an industry uh, backstory. Uh, let's say it's called Flavor Intelligence, and let's introduce our guest. Let's start with Jean. Jean, what's your name and what's your business? So my name is Jean Vendem. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Esther. Great. And Suzanne? Hey, Suzanne Chalo here uh, from Craft Beer Cellar, and uh, now we can say Trinktish, uh, which is a beer hall uh, in Belmont, Mass. as well. Uh, Craft Beer Cellar is headquartered in Belmont, Mass., and I'm a beer geek. We know that. It was so great to have you back on. Thank you, Jimmy. And Emily? Hey, everyone. Fellow beer geek here. I own Radcraft, and I'm calling in from Durango, Colorado today. All right, Emily Hudo. Thanks for helping us organize the show. So, uh, Emily, when you first proposed the show to me, I was a little baffled, and I've realized that this is a very important uh, aspect of what happens in the industry, uh, whether it's you know sales and, and breweries and data and everything. So, I'm a, I'm a neophyte, and you guys are going to teach me about this new new project. So, Jean. Tell us about Esther, what it is, and why we need this uh, for our beer sales. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the reason I started Esther three years ago came basically from the observation that even in in today's world where everything is about data and digital, uh, there's still not a lot of information and a lot of insight and flavor. Um, 
And all the data that we have about why people like what they like uh, is very scattered and, and private. And it's like, you know, spread out over producers and retailers, distributors, and everybody has a couple of things, but nobody has a lot of data. And so I started Esther to become an independent source of, of flavor intelligence. And that allows us to provide insights to the entire industry, basically helping producers to make better products and retailers to sell more and more innovative products as well. So a little backstory on you. So um, you're not from the beer industry. Tell us how you, how you really got obsessed with this. I mean, you yeah. were a picky eater as a child, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you can ask my mom uh, how I was when I was a kid. Uh, she always tells me that I was super picky and that I was always telling her that I would decide uh, what kind of foods I would eat. Um, and that's something that I took into my college education. So I studied um, food science at, at the University of Leuven in Belgium, uh, where I'm from. Um, and then afterwards decided to take a sidestep, did some consultancy and ended up working in in grocery retail, uh, working for Belgium's leading grocery chain, uh, doing R&D and innovation there. And I saw how retailers are always focused on like creating a loyal customer and serving a customer and doing whatever a customer would need. And so when I met my wife, who's American, and I moved to New York, um, that's when I decided to really tackle this problem and bring together, bring together my, my scientific background with my experience in retail. So what, let's just say you're, you're in a supermarket and you're going to order a lot of different sauces. Let's use sauce as an example or beer. What, 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 what do you know, what, what's the research or the intelligence that's going on when when a large you know, retailer is thinking about carrying a product or or marketing it? What, what, what is you, what are you thinking about in those lines? Right. So if it, the big difference is um, between, you know, what what purchasers and category managers at a retailer are thinking about today uh, and what we think they should be thinking about much more. And if you look at the, the drivers today of these decisions, um, it's quite often about, you know, their gut feeling. It's about what they like. It's about what they think is a beer that is qualitative or a sauce that is qualitative for that matter. Um, and then they also look at the financials, right? Does it make sense to carry this? Can I negotiate a good deal? Uh, is this going to turn over enough? Uh, they also look at trends. They look. They basically look at what sells. Um, what we think is sometimes missing in that whole equation is to have flavor as an important element um, and an important data point. Uh, we know that consumers are looking for flavors. Uh, but it's very hard to to search uh, in a store on flavor. You can't look in the bottle. You can't taste everything. And so we wanted to make that information available, both to, to retailers when they make those choices about their assortment, but also to producers um, when they're developing new products. And obviously to consumers when you're in front of the beer aisle and you're trying to decide what you're going to have tonight. So is this something like a dryness scale insider? Are, are you putting scales or on labels how is this working yeah so the the big advantage of um using using digital technology um is that you don't have to use these generalized data points anymore yeah we have an opportunity to really um add a level of personalization here uh that hasn't been done before 
And that means uh, when I always give the example, uh, you and I, we would taste the same beer in a very different way. And we use our own words. Uh, we are sensitive to certain certain things in the beer. And, and that might be very different, right? If we both drink uh, an IPA, you might say it's incredibly bitter. I might say, man, it's okay, right? And, and so these scales that we use and, and labels that we add um, are actually not easy for every individual consumer. And our technology allows us to to basically um, personalize that for you. And we ask you questions about what you're sensitive to. And then we give you information based on what we know. And we give you labels that are basically made for you. Wow. Let's jump to Suzanne. So Suzanne, just tell us a little bit about your background, because I I really respect you as a beer expert and taster, and then uh, why you're interested in Esther. Thank you. Yeah. I. it's funny when when uh, I was introduced to Jean uh, from our mutual friend uh, Julia Hers, formerly of the Brewers Association. I, um, you know, I always trust um, people like Julia, and and she reached out and she introduced uh, Jean and his business partners. And I thought to myself, hmm, that's interesting because we've spent you know the last decade plus uh, studying beer and working really hard to hone in on exactly the things that uh, she was sort of saying that they were doing. And I found it uh, perplexing. I found it uh, uh, perplexing. And maybe I thought for a moment that I, that, that it might be impossible and, and not impossible, but like, to me, it seemed um, unreal that I had never heard of them but they were in effect doing the same thing that we were doing, but doing it from a scientific or an academic side, not really uh, necessarily in the industry right now. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we got on the phone and um, it's funny, uh, Jimmy, cause I ask him some of the same questions you ask him. <laughs> like, what are, what, you know, what, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Please explain yourself. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, you know, flavor and, and these things. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, Jean, as he explained, has a background in the same, you know, sort of industry. I mean, he sort of came from retail. He was looking at it in a certain way. Um, he became very interested in flavor, not just a beer. I mean, we happen to be having a conversation around beer, but, uh, you know, for wines and foods and things like that, you know, as a picky eater or whatever. And I think he actually, uh, he took a chance and, and I can appreciate that. You know, I am where I am, uh, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years in uh, to studying beer and flavor because we were interested in it and we took a chance on it as well. We just, you know, we, we, we kind of scaled the other side of the roof, if you will. Um, and, and I'm interested in, in what they're doing. And we decided to work with Esther because this is impressive and really, really the only thing we're missing when we look at our web technology uh, in fact, one of the first things I said to Jean was, but we're already doing this. And, you know, he challenged me in that. Yes, he could see that, you know, for example, if you look at the flagship store, uh, the Belmont site, uh, you can sort by brewery, but you can also sort by flavor, uh, style, profile. And if you're pretty geeky, then you have some idea 
what a Belgian pale ale is going to taste like. And so you can go, maybe you peruse around in the Belgian beer section or in the styles and you're able to come up with some things that are similar, you know, and I think a lot of people are doing that uh, if we don't have a history with them. Uh, but I think uh, Jean and his team were able to take it to a different level and his proposition looked really great to me. Also, I don't know if you've seen a picture of Jean, but he's kind of got, you know, kind of, you know, sort of Einstein, he's got this Einstein look about him. And so I sort of pictured this, this, you know, Belgian Einstein flavor guy, like popping up on our website um, and really bringing what we're doing in person. And that's what, that's what we were able to really fly away on is that he has an understanding of what we do in our stores, you know, across, across our footprint. This is exactly what our beer geeks are trying to do uh, is have that conversation. Someone comes in and says, look, I want to buy a gift for my husband or wife. Um, they only drink, you know, blank, blank, light macro beer. And we say, okay, no problem. And we go to the lager section and we say, definitely have to take this one. And they say, why? And then we say, well, both beers contain only hundred percent Pilsner malt and Pilsner malt's going to have that really crackery, you know, uh, flavor to it. It's not going to be overwhelming. It's not going to be bitter. It's not going to be super sweet. It runs right down the middle. And then we build up from there. It, it turns out that Jean and his team have perhaps been able to, uh, accomplish this on a digital, uh, or virtual level. And we look forward to, we're very close, uh, to, to being able to pop down Jean, the Einstein beer geek, uh, I hope on our, on our website, he's laughing. Cause he's like, Oh boy, you know, this is, this is getting crazy. <laughs> Suzanne has all these uh, images in her mind. And we want you to keep sharing that. Let, let, let's take a step back and just say, okay. So in your journey, um, through craft beer sellers in which we really respect, what, what are some like flavor education that, that you've been through, like things like where, you know, which part of your tongue tastes certain, certain elements or, you know, Cicerone programs. What, what are things that, that have been trying to address flavor? Yeah, definitely. Uh, BJCP of course is out there for those, um, for those that are home brewers and, and have run up the beer judge side of, you know, kind of beer academics as we call them. Um, it's not the direction that, uh, I went, uh, or my business partner, Kate, went uh, in the beginning. Cicerone made a lot more sense to us. We actually had bumped into and, and met Ray Daniels. I don't even know. I don't want to too date myself, but I think he <laughs> administered the first exam in, in the Boston area, and he was looking for a location to do it. And we were still in the restaurant business. And we, so we offered him some space, uh, to run that first exam in the Boston area. I don't think there were many people that showed up for it because at the time, and that was, let's just say 2000, uh, or 2000, it was later than that. Actually. I think it was, it was probably around 2008. People at the time were like, you know, what do you, what are you smoking? I mean, who studies beer <laughs> and why? <laughs> Uh, you know, they were thinking more along the lines of, I study beer only when it's in my glass in front of me. Uh, and, you know, Ray, of course, uh, we applaud him uh, in his uh, accomplishments to be able to actually successfully make a living um, at beer academics, which is great. And of course, you, you likely know Ray Daniels. He's got a long history of having worked with the Brewers Association and 
He's a home brewer. Uh, he's written some books. He's uh, been a longtime faculty member at the Siebel Institute. So there's no, no doubt um, on the spectrum of beer that Ray Daniels knows beer. Um, and he knows flavor and he knows all of these other things that made sense. And Ray actually will tell you the reason he started the Cicerone program is because he was tired of going in, you know, uh, what whatever bar or tavern or a restaurant in whatever city, because he traveled a lot and getting um, less than uh, acceptable uh, beers uh, served to him, uh, whether it was because of the beer or whether it was because of the establishment. And, and then I think that ho- opened up a whole other host of things, questions, uh, and, and really took a microscope and put it down on, uh, on the beer industry in terms of, uh, of what was being made. Uh, and what was out there in the market. And, and there were a host of us that sort of, you know, we, 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 we applauded him early on in the early days and we kind of uh, bought into what he was doing and we, you know, we, we ran after it, you know, to try to get it. I've uh, unsuccessfully attempted every level of his Cicerone program. Uh, I've taken the master exam twice. Uh, oof, I don't, I can't even explain to you why I went back a second time. <laughs> It's a tribe unto itself, right? The the ones who take it and keep taking it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let, let, let's jump back to Jean. So let's go to, um, so, you know, now we're here. It's 2021. You know, you're dealing with data, chemical, and sensory analysis. But how, how is that different from, from what Suzanne was talking about? And also, I, I'm a little confused. Like, you know, a lot of consumers want, let's talk specifics, a sweet beer. But do they want a fruity beer? And should I like Jolly Rancher as a flavor if I don't like Jolly Rancher? You know, let, you, you tell, tell us more, Jean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's very important because if you look at flavor, we always have this thought that it's what happens on our tongue and in our nose. And, and actually, it's so much more than that. Flavor happens in your brain. Um, it has to do with our emotions, with the mood that we're in, with our memories from when we were a kid, etc. Um, and at the same time, what's important as well is that flavor is language, right? So we, this is why Cicerone programs are so, so helpful because they create a common language uh, to talk about flavor. And so the example you gave about sweet and fruity is, is a fantastic example because actually we see a lot of non-geeky, non-connoisseur uh, consumers that use those two terms, those two words, sweet and fruity, just you know interchangeably. And they don't really know what they're talking about when they use sweet or fruity. So what we try to do is instead of trying to get everyone to speak the same language, is much more try to get to, to try to understand their individual vocabulary and their individual language. So when I have someone who tells me, hey, this beer is sweet and I love that, then our technology is going to take away, okay, they use the word sweet, but we're going we're gonna to connect that to what is actually in the beer. And we're going to see like, well, is there sugar in the beer? Is there esters in the beer? Is there a certain sensory element in the beer that we can connect to the sweetness that that consumer is talking about? And what you'll find is that sometimes the words that a consumer uses are not words that would have been used in Cicerone programs and are not words that you would find on the website in the product description or that a store associate would use. Um, that's basically the, the translation that we're trying to do. 
Um, and then the personalization element is incredibly, incredibly key, right? Because the example about Jolly Rancher, I mean, I'm not judging anyone who likes Jolly Rancher. Um, I'm also not judging anyone who likes Jolly Rancher beer, but it doesn't like liking one doesn't mean that you should like the other. And, and flavor is so much more complicated than that. It's not because you like one IPA that you're going to like every IPA. And a lot of consumers are not trained enough, not literal enough, literate enough um, to basically say like, yeah, well, I like this IPA better than this one because uh, there is a certain sensory element. This, I like the citrusy more than the hoppiness or the dryness or something like that. And, and so what we try to do is really just educate them, help them discover their own flavor, and then use those words, use their own vocabulary to guide them through you know, the, the whole wide world of beer, right? To, through all the, all the beers in the assortment that you can find. John, okay, so um, if you're like really working more with the industry side, how do you interact with breweries in terms of getting this knowledge to or from the consumers? I'm getting a little confused now. Do people sit down and fill out a survey? Um, are you anal- what, what are you doing? What is this data? I, I just, I'm a little lost. Okay, so basically we have we have two products out there and and the first one is probably the most important one is what we're working with uh, Suzanne with for example um and and what we do is instead of going direct to a consumer and asking a consumer hey uh what do you like about beer x or beer y we are going to integrate our technology into Suzanne's website into the craft beer seller website and so when a consumer goes to craft beer seller, they're going to be you know, prompted by, uh, by our system that is trying to ask them questions or that will ask them questions and guide them throughout the assortment based on what they like, what they prefer. And then the next time that they come back, we're going to ask them like, hey, we noticed that you bought beer X or Y. What did you think? What do you remember from that experience? And those are the data points that Suzanne can use to kind of understand her consumer better, but that we also use to feed our database. Um, on the on the producer side, we have a second product, which is our, our platform, right? Our data platform um, where producers can have their beer analyzed and then we connect their beer to all the data that we have in our platform. And that's what we use to give them insights about you know, their products. Um, we give them insights about their, their portfolio, about the competition and about the, the consumer that is, that is drinking their product and what they're thinking, uh, what they're thinking about it. Okay. So Suzanne, for you, so if I'm a consumer, I mean, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm trying to discover a broad, broad introduction to this, but if I'm a consumer and I'm, I'm coming to your store, I'm looking for a sour beer and that's, I say, I like sour beer. How do you interact with that consumer, but also how will this Esther program help you do it better? Yes. So if, if, if a customer says that to me, uh, the first question I'm going to ask you is, do you mean sour or tart? Uh, and if they give me a funny look, uh, because as John points out, I think actually in the United States, we're... We, we've grown up pretty ignorant when it comes to uh, taste and flavor uh, of food. 
right? So it's just not, it's never been part of our society. Uh, at least when I was a kid and growing up, I think we're, uh, the beer industry has struggled uh, over the last uh, 20 years to uh, get to a place where we really understand uh, the difference between cracker and uh, toasted bread, uh, for example. So that's why that's a starting place for me. Are we talking Greek yogurt, um, uh, sour cream, like lacto sourness, or are we talking uh, acidic acid, um, uh, more vinegar sourness, right? So I'm going to drill in on that. But I think the easy way for us to understand uh, what John and his team will be able to offer us is we're basically going to provide him with a little bit of data from what our customers have already purchased. And that's the one thing that we're not doing. We can link it in certain ways, but he then is going to drill into that data based on flavor. And he's going to be able to provide us with perhaps a different way to look at both the product that is in our stores, but also the the path and pattern of potential path and pattern of craft beer consumers. So one time I come in, I drink a sour beer or a lacto-based beer, something that's more tart, that has some fruit in it that's not over the top sour. And then I build up from there. Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm looking to explore things that are uh, more lemony or or really tart on the Greek level side. And then maybe I'm going from there up to a lambic or something like that. Um, it's nothing that we haven't been doing. It's just a different way for us to do it, which is why we're excited about it. Uh, we've been doing, we've really, quite frankly, at Craft Beer Cellar, we've been doing it very grassroots. It's been, uh, you know, kind of people in stores and, and, and the people and the owners and the staffs and all the stores very passionate about beer and you know, really rolling up their sleeves to to um, get their understanding so they can pass it along to both their, their staff and also to their consumers, you know, to the customers that shop locally at those stores. So we, we really, um, we know for sure that from a flavor uh, and taste uh, perspective, that's data that exists that we haven't been linking. That's not data we currently link. And that, that is actually why Esther is very exciting to us because the Esther team is offering us an opportunity, quite frankly, to link, to link another subsect of our data. Uh, you know, we, of course, we, we look at numbers, uh, we look at styles, we look at geography. Um, boy, do we look at styles. We look at style, 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 styles, and, and, it's incredible to see what we can see. Uh, numbers are amazing and brilliant. As you know, they tell no lies. Numbers tell the story. But this adds a subsect to it that I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, because in my mind, I've already been there, but I have nothing to support it. It's all, it's all just dreams in my head. It's conversations with people along the way. And, you know, you can only hold so much of that in your head, right? So you're Einstein and Jean is showing you how to write about it or something. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, one of the first things I said to him was like, what's this book? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, we wrote a book. And, and so, of course, the, the next thing I did was purchase the book because I was like, who are these people? I mean, how have I never heard of these people? Right. And so, you know, again, I mean, I, I applaud um, I applaud the universe for bringing 
two entities, quite frankly, together that are doing the exact same thing. But we're, as I said, they were, we're roofing on different sides of the house and we met in the peak uh, up top. And, you know, thanks to Julia hers, I guess. I mean, she's, um, she's a dream weaver. Um, and she, she brought us together. Hopefully it ends up being a great relationship, uh, for craft beer seller. Um, and you know, as we push forward, but also we hope to be, to be able to provide for John and his team, um, the experience component of, you know, what it looks like to get into, Retail. What does it look like for his secondary platform? I think it's maybe his primary platform, but I call it secondary because you know retailers think that they're you know they're, <laughs> they're the most important. Um, but the brewery piece is important. Obviously, the producer side is is critical, and I think that there's a lot more to drill down and learn. Um, sometimes, and, and one of the jokes in the retail side, by the way, is you know, do breweries ever talk to retailers? Like, why would you do this? Or like, you know one of the things about packaging sometimes like the, the consummate uh, UPC or SKU reproducers or reusers were like, why would you do that? Like, that's the craziest thing. You're making your retailer work so hard. And, you know, we could, we could pick apart ingredients and, you know, we could, we could uh, hang our hats on certain beer styles, but um, generally speaking, one of the things that we wish, uh, happened a little more were, were more intuitive conversations between the retailer's opinion or perspective and what then gets sort of translated uh, from the production house uh, at a brewery. So, you know, we're not, we're not focused or studying that at all in terms of what Esther is doing, but I have a sneaky suspicion that uh, what we'll end up finding is as they get in a little deeper uh, with some breweries and some and some additional data points, is that they actually end up uh, being able to help integrate uh, some forms of data that they hadn't originally considered. Wow, this is a great. We're off to a great start. We're going to take a short break and be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally, sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select whole food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. 
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Support us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking with Jean of Esther and Suzanne of Craft Beer Cellars with Emily Huto from Radcraft Beer. Um, so uh, this is very cool, and you guys are schooling me a little bit, kind of on, on really how things work, um, customers, retail, products, all this stuff. But Jean, so going back to what is the North Star, the true North Star of of the businesses that you know? What are businesses, retailers, breweries looking for that you're helping provide? Yeah, the, the North Star is always about craft, right? It's about um, for a brewer, it's crafting the perfect product. Uh, for a retailer, it's crafting the perfect assortment that will make and and that will delight their their customer, right? And I'm sure that Suzanne will will tell me I'm right when I say what she wants is to make her customer happy. Um, and we all want to get that perfect product to the the consumer that will delight in it. And and that's technically what Esther wants as well. Is we see a lot of beer ending up. In, and a lot of food ending up at a consumer that is maybe not the perfect match for that product, right? Purely on flavor. Um, they're not the ones that are going to experience it in, in to its fullest. And, and we think the North Star for all of these businesses is if you can create that, that link, if you can create that flavor mate, right? That soul mate and flavor, um, then you're going to be able to uh, you know, to, to sell more beer, obviously, uh, but also, you know, have a product out there that is truly differentiating, that is truly different. And on the retailer side, you know, what I learned in retail was that the, the way to go from a break-even retailer to a profitable retailer is to have a customer who's loyal to you, a, a customer who trusts you, a customer who keeps coming back and keeps coming coming back to spend their money at your business. And we think that our technology and our data is the way to, to reach those goals. And so our North Star is very much aligned with the North Star of these uh, of these businesses in the industry. So, like, let's say 10 years ago in New York, I think it's one of the issues with, with craft beer and so many selections. It must be really hard. If, if I wasn't in the industry... I really wouldn't know what to buy when I go to when I go to a, a bar or restaurant. If I'm in a new region, I don't know the names of the breweries. I feel like some breweries have flavor profiles that I that I trust. I I, I often really don't know what to order. Like a good example was eight or nine years ago, Barrier was one of the new really great small breweries in New York City, and at my old pub, we always had a Barrier IPA on draft, and they had a certain flavor profile that I was just so addicted to like that I was so loyal but when when that keg would run out and I would have to go to it just even switching to a different brewery it was like my palate would would revolt <laughs> um yeah is there is there anything you can tell me about about that because it, it it's it's kind of like buying candy or, or like you know you're buying your favorite sauce right it's like these consumer products there's something that that when you like something, you keep going back for it. But it is almost like an addiction, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's when I talk about flavor being more than just what happens on your tongue. Uh, there, there's an emotional component to that. And obviously, there's, uh, you know, the, the loyalty to a brand or to a product. I mean, what you have with that beer, I have with Duvel, right? A, a Belgian brand that I used to drink when I grew up. Well, grew up when I was over 18, but, but when I was younger, 
Um, and I would, I still go towards a Duvel. If I can find it out here in, in New York as well, I'll still order one every time that I can. Um, and if I look at why I ordered it and why I have such a hard time ordering something different, it has nothing to do with like the, the, the palate of, or with what happens on my tongue. It's an emotional thing. And so our, our thinking is that if you talk about flavor, you can talk about flavor without including that emotional component, without including, you know, the importance of a pretty label, without taking into account price, uh, without taking into account the context of where you're drinking and, and with whom you're drinking, right? I, I know people that have a super wide palate, but every time they are in a certain situation, let's say we're at the beach in the summer uh, where you are on holiday, they always go back to that same brand of beer that fits that occasion. And so we try to understand those patterns and, and there's no right or wrong there. That's really important to know. But the minute we start understanding those patterns, we're basically sitting on, on a treasure of information that, that is super helpful for brewers and retailers, but also for a consumer, right? Because understanding your own patterns and your own habits is is useful for you as well yeah and also as a consumer i, I feel like th there's that great thrill you know when when pubs and and you know in indoor dinings open there's a great thrill in trying different beers and, and different wines and things but when you're actually been working you know in your day job and it, you're out on a friday night and and you're waiting in a busy bar or restaurant and you get that that pint of beer or that glass of wine if it's not really what you want you're really disappointed mm -hmm. um i don't know suzanne how how your take on that is because so, sometimes i can be really disappointed if i go to a bar and they had a beer like a in Massachusetts recently had the Lord Hobo 617. Thought it was a good go-to. I really enjoyed a good go-to IPA. And that, that bar ran out of it. And what they had was a totally different, totally different taste experience. And I, I didn't want it. Yeah, I agree with what uh what John has put forth uh for us. We're big um we're big on the emotional scale as well, and and we kind of call it memories. Uh I think you know. Esther looks at it as a little bit more like, um, well, it's the same thing. I mean, I think we're a little bit more honed in on, on memories. Um, it's emotional, uh, regardless. Uh, someone asked me, uh, recently why I liked Chimay, uh, premiere. And I said, and I think it goes back to the same things for, uh, Jean and Duval. I said, it reminds me of Thanksgiving, uh, and my grandmother and this bread pudding she always used to make. And, you know, it, it's conjuring something up that you never forget. Uh, it's a pleasant memory or emotion. And I think as John said, um, you know, in life, I think we all look for those um, occurrences, you know, whether it's through food or beverage uh, or, um, company or, you know, places we, we visit, um, or, you know, brands that we choose, uh, you know, I, I always think of Sierra Nevada There's not anybody that uh, drinks beer or appreciates beer that, uh, doesn't see that color green and think, right. That's, Oh, that must be Sierra Nevada. You know, even if it's just a flash of the label, 
in a cooler as someone's closing a cooler door, you know, as you're out floating on, on the river somewhere. You see that green? There is not another product in the market that has that sharp, bright Sierra Nevada green color. And it's sort of the same thing. So I'm 100% on board with um, this part of what they're doing. You know, we've been... Uh, we've been sort of standing in the face of people that were looking at us crazy. Um, as we were saying, you know, uh, all of these things, uh, right. Uh, you know, beer reminds us of memories. It has emotions, you know, it helps, uh, position us in place and time. Uh, I'm super glad to have someone, uh, it's sort of a long lost brother. Uh, Jean is, uh, sort of saying the same things that we've been saying for years, uh, just uh, using a, a slightly different mode or vehicle uh, to get there. So um, just n- new things. So you guys have a drink tish. Um, just tell us about that and, and how the, the food and drink go together, you know, flavors and food and drink pairing. I don't know. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for asking. You know, Kate and I came from the restaurant business. Uh, most people that know us are, uh, already know that. Uh, we left the restaurant business because we needed to. We needed a break. Um, and the only thing that made sense at the time, which was in 2010, was beer. That was the one common theme or thread. Um, and so, hence, Craft Beer Cellar was born. Um, and we were off pretty quickly and really never had a chance to look back about um a year and a half in, we decided to turn the model into a franchise model um, and opened our second store in July of 2013. And then, you know, the, our third store in October, our fifth, uh, fourth store in November, and later in November, our fifth store and so on and so forth. So it's just been growth um, so much so that we went up over the uh, apex and we're coming back down a little bit. Uh, I think in business and growth stories, uh, you know, you're going to make some mistakes. Uh, you're going to bring some people on your team that probably you shouldn't have, not because they're not nice people, certainly, but maybe they just uh, don't uh, have the same vision or uh, believe in following the same, you know, sort of traje- trajectory toward, you know, the, the, the the beer industry or the growth model that you do. So we've done a little bit of trimming down uh, over the last couple of years, but always um, in my and Kate's mind was to get back to the restaurant business. Um, We've been sort of quietly planning what that looks like, I guess, over the last two or three years. Uh, This would have opened uh, last year, uh, but of course, things were delayed. And then that took us into the early part of 2020. And then the next thing you know, everything was shut down and, and everybody knows the rest of the story there. Um, we decided to go ahead and open, uh, in late February. Uh, it's called Trinktish. Uh, that means absolutely nothing, but it is two words. I love that name. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's two words. Uh, kind of pushed together two German words, uh, drinking table is our rough translation. Um, if you look at our website, uh, you know, what was most important uh, for us was to create a space that everyone felt welcome and it felt very sort of communal. And, you know, there was a sharing of, of life and conversation and food and, and all things good. Um, 
Yeah, so we decided to go ahead and open for takeaway business uh, in late February, which was pretty interesting because, you know, then we have Kate trying to build a menu uh, of things that will travel well um, and, you know, watching as, you know, she swims through uh, a sea of take takeaway or, or carry out containers and tries to make decisions about what's the right, uh, what's the right uh, vehicle or vessel for the food to travel in. Um, yeah, so, but it's been good. It's been five weeks. Um, so far, so good. Uh, she's been very receptive of, you know, constructive uh, feedback. Uh, she's asked for it from customers. We've seen um, some changes in, in simple things like the cheese sauce for the, for the pretzel Um yeah, I mean, it's been really, really great. A uh, guy comes in almost every single day now, which is pretty funny, and, and uh, gets the Flemish stew, uh, which is called uh, chicken zui. Um, maybe Jean can school me on zui, but uh, I've traveled to Belgium many, many times, and so much of what Trinktisch is about is um, a culmination of our life experiences and, and food and beer and, 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 and travel quite frankly. So this for us uh, was a takeaway from, from Belgium. Um, it's made with actually a Belgian tripel, a, a local. Uh, actually, I think uh, she's bouncing between a couple of different triples uh, in the in the stew. Uh, Cambridge Brewing Company's uh, triple and Allagash tripel. Um, but yeah, yeah, maybe Jean can school us on that in terms of flavor. But yeah, it's great. And people are blown away by it. This guy comes in every every day for lunch now. And gets a, you know, he gets a pint of it to, to take away and dares anybody to make fun of him for doing it. Well, he, he obviously like knows his flavor, you know, um, just tell us, this is a beer show. Is there one beer that you want to mention that's at, on at Trinktish um, that's you recommend? I mean, sure. I, I'd be happy to. Um, there's a beer that I really, really love. Uh, by the way, I'm drinking a, a zero gravity little wolf right now. Uh, shout out to Zero Gravity. They're amazing people. And their beer is phenomenal. Uh, Little Wolf turns out to be a, a gluten-free beer, but not necessarily on purpose. Um, but but I just love it because it's light and it's low in alcohol. And I love Mosaic Hops. It's got some Citra Hops as well. Um, and this is actually on the menu at Trinktish. Uh, and it really was put there because it's amazing, but also uh, because it... Um, is, is gluten-free or reduced, um, and we wanted to have that option for people. Uh, I don't know if everyone has heard of a beer called Harvestun, uh, Old Engine Oil. Uh, that is on the menu at Trinktish, uh, made in Scotland, but very much in the English or British style. Uh, it's a porter of uh, the utmost perfection, low, low, lower in alcohol. I think it's actually 6%, uh, maybe a little higher than most standard English porters, but it's light it's got a bit of sweetness but finishes dry and kate and i thought it would do well um, with the sausages and the potatoes on that uh, menu much like a a, a german dunkel uh, lager uh, or a schwarz beer would do it's been uh, pretty well received and, and most people haven't heard of it so i think people are fairly curious as to what the hell is a beer called old engine oil um but in 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 my mind, in some ways, it's really one of the best uh, English-style porters in the world. So if you haven't had it, you should seek it out. 
No, I love that too. And I think you always think that it's either much stronger or darker than it actually is. Um, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, it's not, they're just so, uh, they're so inviting. And once you get into that glass, they're they're you know, everything that's great about a beer, in my opinion, always is a culmination of the sum of its parts. And when I look at a beer like that, it is, it has the right amount of color. It's not too dark. It has the right amount of head. It's not too much or too little. It has some sweetness. Uh, the aroma is inviting, you know, that, that, that toasted bread crust, a uh, little bit of toffee. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't leave your palate feeling, you know, sweet. Um, it kind of dries out on the finish, which I appreciate. It's sort of a trick, right? Trick of the brewer. Uh, if you finish the palate dry, then, you know, the consumer is going to go back for another, another drink. And before you know it, they're, you know, into their second beer. Um, and, and you've, tr- you've tricked them into drinking more than they maybe intended to. Well, you, you've been doing studying your customers, Suzanne. <laughs> um, so, Jean, for you, the, some of the goals with Esther, will this make a better beer list um, for retailers? The goal is that it makes uh, uh, two things, that it reaches two things. Uh, first of all, we hope that Esther drives um, an innovative uh, beer list and that, it's, that it takes away uh, the fear of a lot of retailers to put things on there in their assortment that they wouldn't put in otherwise, um, just because they have the data now to support that decision. And then the second thing that we want to reach is that it's um, it's a beer list that is, or, or a beer assortment that is connected or that's aligned to what the consumer is looking for. Um, and, and your customer at Craft Beer Cellar, like our goal is uh, to, to give them an assortment that they will truly appreciate. And so that alignment is, is really important to us. And then what what have like breweries and, and you know, brewers guilds done wrong? And they're, they're always trying to educate, you know, every wine person tries to f- figure out what dry wine is. And most people don't agree. So what, 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 what are breweries doing wrong uh, when they approach, you know, consumers? <laughs> I think uh, nobody's doing anything wrong. Um, I think it's just incredibly incredibly difficult and complicated to get people to talk about flavor in the same way in the same language and so there's always uh, a little bit of a disconnect between whatever you you offer as insights and education and what a consumer is truly taking away from that and understanding from that and uh, and then the second thing is that a lot of consumers are just not willing to put in the work, right? Uh, to, they don't want to take exams and they just want to find the beer or the wine that will connect to their preferences. And they don't even need to know why exactly that's the case. Um, and so I think that the power of technology in this field is really that that you can offer advice with the level of education that a consumer is is willing to digest, is looking for. And if they don't want any, then we don't give any. We just give them the list of, of the beers that they're going to like. And if they want to be educated, they can still be educated either through the technology or through programs like like Cicerone programs or like whatever whatever the, the, the associations are offering, right? That's still valuable. 
Um, I think this is a way to make it more accessible and to get more people involved and and caring and conscious about their own flavor preference and why they like what they like. Well, this has been great, guys. Um, I want to just bring in Emily. Emily, thanks so much for um, bringing the show together. Can you just give us a, a, a quick outro of uh, why you're working with Jean or how you started working with him? You got it. Well, I love Suzanne's comment that Julia hers is a dream weaver because she indeed is. And um, to that exact effect, Julia called and I, I trust her word and her palate so very much. Um, and Esther resonated with me because I think as a, a beer journalist turned publicist, like I call myself, um, finding the diction that we use to define flavor and, and really capture its nuance is something that I've spent a career doing. And I think from the sales and marketing side of a brewery or a producer, uh, for the sake of this conversation, we have so much sales data, but there's no calculation in those numbers explaining the why as to how people are experiencing these flavors and why they're returning. And so, um, again, to quote Suzanne, Esther really just take, takes things to this new level. And I was really attracted to Esther because I work with so many small breweries that either don't have the equipment or the staff or honestly, um, you know, even the knowledge to, to run a sensory lab themselves. And I think that um, we didn't get into it much today, but Esther has a sensory analysis service for craft breweries and producers that really levels this, um, the playing field when it comes to accessibility for this kind of data. So I, um, I was just so attracted to this concept. And I think Jean's just this kick-ass human who is teaching me so much about not only flavor, but how to describe it and really find that common language. And finally, he's making this, this new level of data and flavor intelligence available to all. And I think that's a pretty special thing. So it was a story I was very, I was on board to tell, and I'm just so pumped to be here with you all. So thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much. And if anything from the show, Suzanne, I am going to start checking out craft beer sellers on the website and more. And, uh, uh, <laughs> Start start honing my my purchases based on what you guys are selling because it's pretty awesome. I want to ask you a million more questions. I want to ask you. So should I have a a, a cracker uh, cracker tasting Belgian pills tonight? What should I what should I have? Well, my question would be, what do you what are you eating? Uh, I actually have some uh, artisan grain like Kamut uh, whole wheat Levain bread uh, with a little goat cheese. Yeah, I would step it up a little bit. I'd go Belgian pale ale, you know, something that's got a little bit more of an esoteric or estery uh, yeast strain. There's so much um, cool fruit in Belgian in Belgian yeast um, that really is uh, enlivens the uh, aromatics of the beer, and you know, you get these you get these these uh, easily digestible grains in the beer, but also um, High carbonation, you know, helps push away some of that dry, you know, character of the bread and so on and so forth. Yeah, I love I love talking about this stuff. Sounds like we need to get back on one of these uh, calls. It sounds like I could talk to Emily for for hours as well. And I'm just laughing over here because it's all because John didn't like broccoli. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) This is awesome. So we could talk more. And and then next one, also the triple you, you both. 
Duval and, and Shimei, you're mentioning things. And I, I want to know really, you know, when you run it through Esther, what is it about the Duval that that makes you love it, Jean? And what is it about Shimei Premier that makes you love it, Suzanne? But maybe that's another show. So <laughs> I'd be happy to tell you, but I need more time for that. <laughs> yeah. So there, we're just getting, th- thanks for taking the time with me. This, this was um, definitely is making me think more about what I'm tasting and, and the words I should be using, but also, you know, I, it's really confusing when not only you're a consumer or on, you're on the other side of the counter and someone asks for things. Um, it's not the same. It used to be, I wanted a Stella and I'd be like, great, this is a Belgian pills. Um, I think that there's a lot of confusing different beers out there. And I think that this is really important because obviously if you're a craft beer consumer, I can see why people are drinking. My daughter's generation is going hard seltzer and it's partly because it's easy. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's, it's an orange or it's a a cherry and it's seltzer. Um, There's not a lot more to think about. So I enjoy the Mm -hmm. challenge and I, I love the, the complexity. So you guys have been really great, and I hate leaving you out, but thanks so much to Armand, our engineer, and Caroline, our producing intern. Uh, big thanks to Emily, Suzanne, and Jean, uh, who have joined me here on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.